Hi, I'm Jim White. I'm the senior minister at the Southwest Church of Christ. Welcome to today's session on uh, humility, uh, how to receive your humble button uh, lessons from uh, the Beatitudes. I hope you've been enjoying our study and, um, and uh, look, I look forward to uh, our, our study today. I've mentioned this before, but uh, I am so drawn. I don't know what it is, but Jesus gives us not commands necessarily, but he gives us guidelines on how to live our lives. And if we were to just follow these, um, we would become more and more like Jesus. <clears throat> so I want to start today by just reading these again. Uh, we've, we've gone over them a number of times, but I want to do it again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I, I've mentioned this before in the, in the previous lessons, and, and uh, William Barclay in his commentaries, um, he translates each of these uh, Beatitudes. Sometimes I think he does a good job with them, and sometimes I don't. Uh, but I usually put them in uh, at least their study so you can at least see uh, what he says. He translates this one this way. Oh, the bliss of the man who longs for total righteousness as a starving man longs for food and a man perishing of thirst longs for water for that man will be truly satisfied. And, and I think it's important, and we've mentioned this, that, that these Beatitudes tend to build one on another. And, and I, I've noticed it even more in this study today. Uh, he starts off by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. And remember, we, uh, we mentioned that he uses the word, the, probably the strongest word for poor, and that is to be destitute to understand how destitute we are in our sins without Jesus. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn. And again, it's another strong word. It's the word that was used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And it was the word that was used when Jacob found out, at least he thought that uh, Joseph was dead. And so when we see this mourning, and, and, and the, the more I've studied this, I, I've, I was always taught that uh, blessed are those who mourn were those who were mourning over their sin. And when you look at uh, this in the order that we have it, blessed are the poor in spirit, that totally destitute, then yes, naturally our response would be uh, that of mourning. But, but Barclay and others go on to say that it also is the, the, the uh, mourning over the condition of the human spirit. 
And the longer I live, the more I see that. And so he says, blessed are those who mourn. Now, in this one today, uh, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, notice he doesn't say, blessed are those who are hungry, or blessed are those who are thirsty. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's a greater thing than just a temporary hunger. It's a greater thing than a temporary thirst. It is this drive that drives us sometimes. And he says, I want you to, to strive to have this hunger and thirst for righteousness. Scripture says, you, God, are my God. And earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, isn't that interesting? His, his illustration that he uses here is a, is a quest for hidden treasure. And in the same way, Jesus calls us to hunger and thirst uh, for this hidden treasure. In Proverbs, actually that was from Proverbs. In, in Isaiah 26 and verse 9, it says, My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you when your judgments come up upon the earth. The people of the world learn righteousness. Now, I know that you have, those of you who have children, have had kids, hey, your, your own kids, have, have, have looked in the refrigerator. They've shut it with... Uh, kind of frustrated with life in general. And they've looked in every cabinet and they say, there's nothing to eat. And there's stuff all over the place. There's food everywhere. And it's kind of funny. But can you imagine going to your refrigerator and opening it up and it being completely empty and you don't know where the next meal is going to come from. You are struggling with the fact that you don't know uh, where the next drink is going to come from. We live in such a society that it is, we are just covered up with, with all this, uh, all the riches really of, of anything we want. We eat out, we we stuff ourselves, we, we engorge ourselves with food, we drink water until, until we nearly burst. But this is an age where Jesus is talking here, where they understood this, uh, where they understood uh, true hunger and true thirst. Uh, they sometimes didn't know where the next meal was coming from. And so Jesus uses this illustration to say, Blessed are those who hunger, who don't know where the next meal is, who don't know where their next drink is. 
those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But here's the interesting thing, and let's go here. What is righteousness? We can define it in a number of ways. Uh, and, and I ask you, how would you define it? I, I struggle. Uh, I think a lot of people think that righteousness is rightness. And I know that seems like a, a fine line we're drawing, but, but I, I, I think I've seen people who have all the answers, who, who can nail people to the wall with Scripture per se, and yet they're not really righteous people. They know the answers. They know the rightness. But they're not really righteous people. One author says that righteousness denotes the state of being right. And as I said, I'm not sure I really agree with that. But, but I want us to see the Beatitudes now as a stair step. Uh, we've started off with being poor in spirit, understanding what our spiritual condition is, and truly, truly uh, see our desperation, our utter destitute lives. And when we see that, we, we totally mourn. We mourn for our condition. We mourn for, for the world and the way it is. And then a natural progression says, but I don't want to leave you there. And so when I see myself as I really am and when I respond in such a way, then I hunger and thirst for righteousness. I want to be consumed with righteousness and not arrogance. I want to be consumed with, with obedience and not slip into legalism. In talking in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, there is no one righteous, no, not one. Well, in last week's sermon, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it tells us exactly what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be like Jesus. We're trying to transform into Jesus. Yeah, let's start in verse 7. If the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters of stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if that was transitory, if, if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? We talk about the way that we are with unveiled faces uh, and, and you remember we talked about this in the sermon uh, when Moses would go up on the mountain and he'd come back down. He'd been with God. His face would just glow. 
And, and the children of Israel said, please put a veil on them. And he says, you know, we all with unveiled faces, as we're looking in this mirror, we want to be transformed in the same image from glory to glory. This from the Lord who is the Holy Spirit. There is only one righteous person. Or maybe I should say there has only been one righteous person who has lived on the earth. And that's Jesus Christ. He was sinless. And so when we look at this and it says, I want you to hunger and thirst for righteousness, it says no one is righteous. When we look at Jesus and we say, okay, he was the only one who was righteous, it almost seems as if it's, a, it's, it's one of those impossible dreams. How in the world are we going to become righteous? And so what we tend to do is we compare ourselves to others. We say saying things like, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so over here. And, and so we look at this level of righteousness. I'm more righteous than they are. Well, you remember the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Where they're standing and praying and the Pharisee says, Lord, I'm, I'm glad I'm not like, like this tax collector over here. I tithe, I do this, I do that. And he sees himself as righteous. And the tax collector says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Lord looks on the tax collector as the one who is righteous. And so when you see these stair steps that we have of the Beatitudes, when you see the, the poorness and the mourning, and then you see this righteousness, we understand that Jesus is the only one who is righteous, but that is what we are striving for, to be transformed into what he wants us to do. You remember Paul's struggle with this in Romans chapter 7? I mean, he really, he really got this. In Romans 7, he would say things like, uh, the things that I want to do are not the things that I do. But the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I keep on doing. And he comes to the conclusion at the end of this, he says, oh, what a wretched man I am. He wanted to be righteous, but he realized, as the Beatitude says, what really happened in his life, and that is that really he was not a righteous person. And justice must be done. God is a just God, and he needs justice. So what happens? Well, as you all know, Jesus came. And Jesus fulfilled the, the, the promise that God had said, the forgiveness of sins. He paid the price. He took our place. He became righteous for us. And there's something in the Greek language that we don't see. I, and and let, me, let me just kind of say something uh, about this. I, I probably said this before, but I want to say it again. 
we've got to be careful about uh, when we read from the English language, we, we struggle to understand exactly sometimes what it says. And so I encourage you to be a student of Scripture. I encourage you to get different translations. I encourage you to read commentaries. And I'll use this illustration as I always have in the past. My brother, uh, who lived in France for many years, one of the jobs that he had besides being a missionary was translating. Uh, there was a, a, a preacher in the States who was translating or who wanted translations from English to French. And my brother sometimes would struggle over trying to find the right word. Well, you can imagine with an ancient language like Greek or Hebrew for that matter, that sometimes it's difficult. And so it's important that we become students of the word. I'm not saying you have to, to, uh, to, to be a Greek scholar to do this because I, I don't think God would give us a, a document, a love letter as we have and make it very hard to understand. But I do think we need to, to dig a little bit and to, and to be, as I said, students of the Word. But the interesting thing about this, and as I said, there's something in the Greek language that we don't see. My wife used to say something like, uh, you know, she'd say, I want something salty. Well, we, we say things like, well, I'm, I'm hungry for bread. Or I'm thirsty for a drink of water. But the language, the original language means I want the whole loaf. I want the entire pitcher. It's not just to, to leave it where it is. It's not just to say, hey, I'm going to take this and, 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 and I, I'm, I'm just hungry. No, it says I want much. When my daughter was little, um, you know how it is with little kids. You, you give them uh, a glass and they want some orange juice or apple juice or something like that and you pour it in there. But you learned as a parent that you didn't put a whole lot in there because if you put a whole lot in there, eh, kids tend to spill things. And the more you put in, the more you had to clean up. And so we would put maybe a half a glass of these little cups. And I remember my daughter saying, Daddy, I want too much. She wanted it filled to the brim. I use that illustration to, to point out that we want to be completely and totally righteous. Even though the scripture says we can't be, the goal, the essence that we are trying to be, and I've already mentioned this, the story of the Pharisee and the publican, we can always find somebody around us that we're more righteous than. But that's not who we compare ourselves to. We compare ourselves to the example himself, and that's Jesus. I want the whole pitcher. I want the whole loaf. I want to be completely and totally 
like Jesus. In essence, it's saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the whole righteousness, for complete righteousness. We can't forget that promise that, that he uses at the end of this. Um, I think too many times we read the first part of the Beatitude and we leave the last part off. But here Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What a promise. Even one day when we are able to, to see Jesus in his glory, and when we stand in God's presence, we'll be cleansed. In fact, we've mentioned this in a, in, in, in a lesson in the past. In 1 John chapter 1, it says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sins. How can that be? Well, it can only be because Jesus paid the price. As I said, we're building. We're building. It's, it's like stair steps that's going up. Next week, we'll talk about being merciful. And that's one lesson that I think we all probably need. And I'm glad you joined me today for this lesson. It's a little shorter than the others. Uh, but I hope you'll take some time and pull out your Bible and read a little bit about righteousness. Thank you for being here. I hope you have a good day.